Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. It's a privilege to be back together uh, with you and just enjoying a day set aside to set our minds afresh on the things of the Lord, to enjoy worshiping Him together, because truly we do have much to, to worship um, for, and, and our God is worthy of our worship. And we are going to continue back in Genesis. Last week we looked at Acts 2 as it was Pentecost Sunday. And uh, this week we will be back in, in the book of Genesis. So you can go ahead and turn there to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 we will start at this morning. And so I'll just ask you to stand together as we read from the Word of God. Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. And we'll just read down to the end of the chapter. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And Lord God, as we come this morning, Father, we acknowledge, Lord, that we do not live on bread alone, Lord, but that we live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, God, I pray that by your Spirit, Lord, that we would be fed, that our souls would be nourished and built up, Lord, and strengthened, God, as we look at at your design in creation, Father, that it would be beautiful to us, that it would be good to our ears, Lord, in a generation that wants to redefine uh, the meaning of life and the value of life, God, that we would hold your word high this morning. And we pray that your spirit would be present, Lord, working, stirring our hearts, encouraging us, convicting us of sin, and helping us to, to rule well, Lord, and uh, make Christ known, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in verse 26 of Genesis 1, we have uh, God coming to the close of his creation over the course of six days. He has progressively created um, all that we see, and with each day, it progressively gets more glorious, more beautiful. And so we see that mankind, on the sixth day, after he creates the animals on the sixth day, we have the statement in verse 26. And so um, a few weeks ago, we looked at 
The first reason why mankind is the crown of creation. What is it that sets us apart from all the rest of creation? And we saw a few weeks ago that the first thing that sets us apart from the rest of creation is that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God, unlike any other creature. And this could be in reference to our We have a soul, we have the ability to commune with God, we're relational, we share some of the attributes of God and in our sense of morality and right and wrong. And so this morning, I want us to look at the second reason that we are unique in God's creation, that we are the crown of creation, and that is that God has crowned us over creation. We have been given dominion over creation, and so that sets us apart from everything else that God has made. And, you know, for many of us growing up in, um, around, either around Christianity or in Christian homes, um, we've grown up thinking and knowing that everything that we see was made by God and that it was made for us. And, and probably, I'm assuming, most in here would already have that, that framework in place. But we need to also understand that we live in a world that is increasingly rejecting that foundation. Increasingly, people are concluding that mankind is actually an accident and even go so far as to say humanity is a problem, that we are actually preventing the creation. They wouldn't use creation because that implies a creator, maybe Mother Earth, right? You hear these kinds of terms. And they conclude that humanity is in the way of the natural world. And so the Christian view and the biblical understanding of creation comes directly against that notion that we are a problem on this planet. But rather, we find God has created everything for us and given us dominion over it. And so this morning, I want us to look at three characteristics of this God-given dominion, Um, three different things to understand this morning about this dominion that God has given. And first of all, we will see that it is from God. The dominion is given to us from God. And then secondly, we're going to see that it is a limited dominion. And that's a bit more implied by the passage, but we'll look at that. And then um, we will also see... Um, how even Christ himself fulfills where humanity has failed. And so we're going to kind of move through these things, and uh, we'll start off then with looking at that our dominion is God-given. Our dominion is a gift, a good gift from our creator, God. And so before we start, you know, we, we need to understand even what, what does this mean? What does the word dominion imply? Because I think for many of us, dominion might have a negative connotation. We think of dominion and maybe, you know, you think of uh, rulers like Hitler or Stalin or even uh, ISIS in our day and time, and we tend to think of it as a negative thing, people who are um, imposing um, themselves or with the wrong type of motivation, and they're trying to get dominion. But dominion here is a positive thing. It is a God-given thing. And it is the idea to rule over, to reign over as a king. Um, We see this in all different 
facets of life. We see you have children, a group of children, and, and in a matter of time, the older children will start to rule over the younger children, and they will be bossing them and instructing them, and we see that play out in, in kids. We see it play out in the workplace. You have a boss with employees, and we understand there's a sense of dominion there, that these employees are to submit to the boss. Um, we see it with parents and children, that parents are given dominion in the home. They're given dominion over the children to discipline them, to instruct them. Even as we are now in, in uh, seeding time, I guess many are coming to the close of seeding time, but you see a farmer plowing the ground and planting seed. That is exercising dominion over creation. And it's a good God-given thing. Remember here in Genesis 26, this is before sin enters into the world. This is, this is God's original perfect design as he gives humanity dominion over the earth. It's not a result of sin. It's not a result of humanity trying to, um, you know, abuse the earth or wreck the earth, but it is a God-given thing rooted in the very beginning of creation. And if you flip over for a moment, the Psalms pick this up as a reason to give God praise, a reason to give God glory that he has given this to mankind. And turn over for a moment to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And we see the psalmist here, a psalm of David, praising the Lord because of this gift that he's given to mankind. And it reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And so we see that all throughout the scripture, there is great praise and worship given to God because he has given this gracious gift to mankind. He has set us over his creation. And it is a good gift from God. And so we need to fight in our minds to reorientate ourselves in understanding this as a good gift because as i said much of the secular message now is that we we should not exercise dominion over over creation but rather we should get out of the way so that creation can flourish and so the first characteristic that we see is that it is god given and it is a gracious gift this dominion that we have the second thing that we see um, this morning in, in light of this passage about our dominion is it is, it is an earthly dominion, and then we'll look in a moment that it's also limited, but it is earthly. It is in the realm of this earth, and it is the fullness of this earth. It's not limited to just the water or just the land or just the sky, but we are given the fullness of the earth as our place of dominion. And you see in Genesis um, 26 and following that it lists 
the different parts of creation, the fish and in the sea and the birds of the heavens, the livestock and, and the creeping things, and you have the totality of all that God has made included in what he has given to us. And if you think about the, the analogy of a house, that in a sense you could think of God having created a house and he gives Adam and Eve the keys. He gives them the right to use the house, to, to take advantage of all the resources that are in there for their flourishing, for their good. And there's an old, um, you may have heard the, the name John Bunyan. He wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress um, hundreds of years ago now. But he said this about God's creation. He said, Man in whom is also included the woman was made the last of the creatures, from whence we may gather God's respect to this excellent creature in that he first provideth for him before he giveth him his being. He bringeth him not to an empty house, but to one well furnished with all kinds of necessaries, having beautified heaven and earth with glory and all sorts of nourishment for his pleasure and sustenance. God creates a beautiful garden. It is full of life. It is full of plants. It is full of creatures. And God gives them all over to the man and to the woman to flourish and to use and to have dominion over. And as I stated earlier, the Bible is clear that God has given us the earth and the the plants and the animals to promote our flourishing, for our advancing as a human race. We're commanded to fill the earth, to reign over it, and it is the fullness of the earth. It is therefore not wrong to cut down a tree and build a house or build a chair or build any number of things. It is not wrong to plant a crop and reap the harvest and be nourished by that crop or to sell the, the uh, harvest for the feeding of your family. That's not wrong. That is a God-given thing. It's not wrong to extract minerals and gas and oil and to extract the resources from the earth to flourish as a human race. This is a God-given privilege. Right? It's not wrong to kill a steer or to kill a chicken or to kill a pig and enjoy the meat from that animal because God has given it to us that we might flourish. And I know that we're all aware, aware of uh, some of the cultural hot topics, but when you begin to realize when a government starts to limit human flourishing, they kill life at the beginning— and then they start killing life at the end because they deem it as not being valuable or not having the, the high enough uh, standard of living, so they kill it. And then they take those resources and they promote um, these environmentalist movements where we save the trees and we save the whale all the while humanity is suffering. That is exactly the opposite of how God established his creation. And yes, we need to be careful of abuses. You know, we're not to be abusing what God has given us in excessive waste or to uh, being cruel to animals. The Bible prohibits cruelty to animals as well, not muzzling the ox while it's treading out the grain. We are to exercise godly dominion, good stewardship. But creation was given to serve humanity. 
And, and so you can see how this shift in our culture is exactly, ultimately, a revolt and a rejection to submit to God. It's not just about saving the trees. This is a revolt against our Creator and how He has established His world. And so I'll try to avoid uh, going on a political rant, but we, we need to understand that when we come to a book like Genesis, it's not just for information. It's not just to tickle our intellects. That when you begin to understand what God has revealed, it changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way that you think about the world. And so this is why um, we need to have these foundations in place. And we need to be seeking opportunities to speak the truth. If you tell someone in in the secular world that it's wrong to kill a child because they're made in the image of God, you probably will get laughed at. They might want a more scientific answer or something that sounds more politically correct where God's not brought into the conversation. But we cannot give up the truth. We must stand and we just tell people, yes, it's wrong to kill babies because they're made in the image of God. End of story. And it's wrong to spend billions of dollars on, on preserving creation while humanity is suffering. Why? Because creation was given to humanity by God. And yes, we will be mocked when we say those kinds of things, but that's all right because your Father in heaven is smiling and he will be your great reward. And we can praise him for that. And so the second Characteristic of this God-given dominion is, is the fullness of the earth that we are given to rule, to use for our flourishing. And then thirdly, the dominion is a limited dominion. And it's like, why do you bring up the limitation of the dominion that God has given? Um, and I think if we don't understand that we are still under authority, we're not ultimately given dominion over the angelic beings over heaven itself. We are limited in our dominion and it's, it's reserved for earth, right? This is the place of our dominion that God has given. And he very specifically tells the man and woman here in Genesis what the realm of their dominion is. And you know, as, as Bible-believing Christians, we, we must understand that we believe there's more than just the material, Right? Material is not the only reality. And many today claim themselves as being materialists, that the only thing real is what you can see and touch and taste and smell. But as Bible-believing Christians, we know there is another reality, a greater reality, which our physical eyes cannot see. Where the angels live, where God himself, we are told, is spirit. And so we must be aware of these dimensions in which we are not given Um, here in Genesis, the dominion over. Sometimes God would pull back the curtain into this reality. You think of Paul, and and he gets to, in a sense, have the curtain pulled back and see glimpses into this other reality, or the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration have a moment when the curtain is pulled back and they see the full glory of Christ for a moment. But by and large, we don't physically see that reality. And as humans, we are people of the earth. And even in Psalms 8 that we read earlier, we find that there are other beings. The psalmist said that God has placed us a little lower than the angels. And so there's another realm of dominion 
that we can't see but is present. And then you have the dominion of God himself over everything. And this might be just a little bit uh, of a rabbit trail, but flip over um, to Jude for a moment. And I want you to see how the New Testament emphasizes this understanding of our, our limitation, that we are limited in, in our dominion by God himself and how this should produce humility within our own hearts as we think about who we are. And uh, the book of Jude, which is very similar in, in ways to Second Peter 2.11, Peter uses some of these, these same descriptions, and he's describing a group of false teachers who have come in and tried to um, subvert the truth, to lead the church astray. And in verse 5, we'll start there, and listen to how he talks about the authority and the dominion that we have and, and what it should produce. He says in verse 5, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And Jude is pointing out that even for the angels, when they step outside of their God-given dominion, they are severely punished. And we find one of these angels in the garden in in, in just a chapter. One of these angels comes into the garden out of his authority to deceive the man and the woman. And Jude says that these false teachers blaspheme angels and, and they, they defile themselves. And when even Michael the archangel himself would not rebuke Satan on his own authority, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so it's a, it's a very sobering reality as we think about who we are in our God-given dominion. It is a limited dominion and we should be humble Even as we think about spiritual warfare, we do not rebuke the devil on our authority. We cannot. But whose authority must we rebuke? The Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you be rebuked. Because that is Christ's position of authority to rebuke angels. And so it should produce humility And it should be uh, sobering for us that, yes, we are given great privilege, great freedom, but we are still under the authority of God, and we should still be a people who are humble before him. And it also beautifully portrays, and you start to think about our place, and then Christ, in the highest authority from all eternity past, humbles himself to become a baby in a womb of a scared teenage girl. He leaves his place of authority and dominion and glory and he comes into the dominion of man that we might be redeemed. And this will be our closing thought as we think just for a moment about how where mankind fails, Christ succeeds. 
Where humanity fails, Christ succeeds. And you think we know, we know the story. Adam and Eve are given this garden, this earth to subdue, to rule over as image bearers, but they blow it. They absolutely mess it up. So much so that in a few chapters, God has to destroy everything and start again. And so we fail as humanity to, to, to use this earth to display the glory of God as we should. And so instead of God simply casting us all into the gloomy darkness where he cast the angels, he sends his son Jesus in the fullness of time, prophesied through the ages, Christ comes into our dominion, into our messed up planet of brokenness, of sin, of pride, and Jesus comes and lives perfectly showing us what God is like. We're told that he is the image of the invisible God. Not just an image bearer, the actual image of the invisible God. And then he establishes through the cross and through his resurrection a new reign, a new kind of dominion that he brings. And so we'll close by just looking at reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I'll just let the Apostle Paul um, write for you what this what this dominion looks like. Christ coming, and you, see the, you begin to see the beauty of it, that mankind has blown it, we have failed to exercise dominion, but Jesus comes as a new man with new hope, the image of God. And, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, listen to how Paul describes his work. Oh, I went to 2 Corinthians. Here we go. 1 Corinthians Chapter 20. Actually, I'll back up a bit just so you get the full. Verse 12. And this is Christ and his work. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he, whom he did not raise if it's true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And so Jesus comes 
to redeem mankind, to restore this creation design of God that mankind would have dominion as image bearers. And Jesus comes and he, when he rises from the dead, he begins a reign of dominion. And we now are caught up in this dominion of Christ spreading to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And we don't go with guns and swords and riots We go sacrificing ourselves and we go with the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. And as we do that, Christ's dominion is spread and he will return when that is complete. And so let us be about that this morning. And I'll invite you to stand and we'll close with a word of um, prayer and I'll invite the, the worship team to come. Heavenly Father God, we know that these are weighty things, Lord, and that as we consider such lofty things as angels and your power and your design, Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us strength to to meditate upon them, to delight in them, Lord, that they would be good words, words of nourishment, and, and that your spirit would give us the desire to see Christ exalted, that we would partner in the dominion of his rule and reign and his namesake in the earth, Lord. And I thank you for each one here, and we pray that you would um, continue to bind us together in love by your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.